Welcome to Cross-Border Tax Talks, where we discuss the latest trends in international taxation, from U.S. tax reform to the OECD's latest developments. I'm Doug McConey, PwC's International Tax Services Global Leader. You can find these podcasts on YouTube at youtube.com slash Doug McConey. On this week's episode of Cross-Border Tax Talks, we're at PwC's Global Transfer Pricing Conference in Berlin, Germany, where I'm excited to be joined by Amri Yanev. Amri is based outside of Tel Aviv, Israel, and is the global head of tax at Amdocs Limited, a $4.5 billion revenue company specializing in software and services for communications, media, and financial service providers in digital enterprises. Amri, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Doug. It's so good to be here. It's good Thank to you fi- for having me. Yeah, it's good to have you finally, finally on. We've been talking about this for, for a while. Yes, we have. And uh, as I mentioned to you, I'm uh, kind of a fan of, of the podcast. So I've watched quite a few of your episodes. Nice. And now do you watch the episodes on YouTube or do you listen to them on the traditional podcast medium? Somewhere in between because I put my YouTube on and it's playing and I'll sometimes watch and sometimes I'll do something else while I'm listening. And, but I always pay attention to what's being discussed. Got it. Got it. <laughs> All right. So you kind of, you, you'll, you'll use YouTube, but then you'll listen to it and you won't watch it. And I'm kind of a guy, that's the reason I put them on YouTube. I like, I enjoy watching my podcast, but yeah. I appreciate you don't always know when people don't want to sit in front of their screen and actually watch the whole thing. So. All right, so Amri, you're the first VP of tax I've had on the Cross-Border Tax Talks podcast that is from a non-U.S. parented group. I don't like using the term foreign parented. I feel like that can be a little pejorative. So I'm going to intentionally say non-U.S. parented. I try to do that on the Cross-Border Tax Talks. So I'm looking forward to getting your perspective on the global tax changes we've seen over the last few years and the potential future changes ahead of us. But I wanted to start with just kind of level setting and sharing more about your role and Amdocs as a whole. So can you tell us a little bit about Amdocs and and what you do there? Sure. So I've been with Amdocs for the past eight years. Prior to that, I was a partner with PwC. Mm -hmm. And I joined Amdocs and took this position because I thought it was a really good opportunity to move from consulting to industry in a company that is, first of all, in the tech space, which I really love. And secondly, um, you know, it's a true multinational. So Amdocs, as you said correctly, uh, develops and provides software and related services to the leading names in the media and communications industry globally. So Mm -hmm. all the big service providers that you know in the U.S., in Europe, in Asia, wherever, we're there to provide all the backbone IT software and services to those companies. Mm -hmm. So it's a true multinational. <clears throat> operating in about 90 countries. And how many? 90 countries. Nine zero. Yeah, nine zero, 19. exactly. All Not right. 19, yeah. 90. Yep. Which is a heck of a, I mean, a big space for a, a, a roughly $5 billion company. I Absolutely. Mean, Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's spread all over the world. I mean, the, the U.S. is obviously a very important market for us, mm-hmm. Canada, but also all over Europe on uh, Asia and Latin America, you know, and, and we try to expand the business into more geographies uh, with time because communication services are everywhere. It's like, you know, everybody needs them. Um, the pandemic just underscored that. Right. So, so I think uh, that, that's, uh, that's it's, it's an exciting industry to play in. I think. Yeah, and you all have been very acquisitive over, I mean, since your tenure, since you've been there as well as before. 
very acquisitive company. So the company is uh, investing a lot in R&D, so organic growth and development of new products, and also very acquisitive company. We go out and buy you know, a couple of companies every year on average, um, you know, in different spaces that fit our strategy. So there's a lot of M&A activity, um, which brings with it even more complexity, as you can imagine. Right, right. Yeah. So how would you describe your role with Amdoc? So Global Head of Tax is your official title, but uh, how would you explain to somebody what you actually do on a day-to-day and week-to-week basis? So naturally, the core of what I do is to be responsible for all things tax. Mm-hmm. So it's everything from the core competencies, which are compliance and make sure, sure, making sure that tax is paid in 90 countries on time, without right. penalties, and correctly reported and all that. That's the basic stuff, right? right. Then the second pillar is like being a real advisor to various stakeholders within the business. Uh, so from you know the the actual uh, um, diff- the different units within finance, so mm-hmm. treasury um, and corporate accounting and the, the likes of those, and then uh, legal and procurement and IT and the HR and all these other corporate units, and finally of course the business itself. So we advise the business units on the business deals that they're making. Um, And the third uh, pillar of this is, of course, planning um, and translating all of that into the financial statements. So tax accounting, so managing the effective tax rate of the company and presenting the results to the board of directors and to the audit committee. So those are the three main pillars of what I do. Excellent. We're going to unpack each of those. So you did a very nice job kind of setting the table for me here. how big is your tax, before we, kind of, before we go into that, because I'm very interested in talking particularly with your, your and your team's relationship with the business and kind of how that, that, that works, particularly with a company your size. But tell us a little bit about, tell me about your tax department, because we had another VP of tax in here from a Fortune 50 company, which I think is a pretty interesting comparison, right? I mean, I, I can't remember um, what Tad said. I think he's got two or 300 people globally. I'm guessing your department might be a little smaller than that. Just a tad smaller, <laughs> no pun intended. No, but seriously, I did listen to that episode with Tad Fowler, and I have to say that uh, that I was, you know, a little bit jealous because Amdox is a big company, yeah, um, but it's not a Fortune 50 company. Right. So it's a it's a public multinational with a footprint all over the world and very complicated. So you get to see a lot of the tax issues. You need to do all the planning, all that, but you don't have the resources like a Fortune 50 company right. would, would have. So our, our department, all in all, I don't know, moves between 20 and 30 people globally, pure okay. tax. So some of those people are pure corporate tax. They do the planning and the transfer pricing documentation and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And some of these people are spread all over the world in regional hubs, controllerships, and they are primarily responsible for the compliance of the entities in their region, just making sure that the day-to-day works. You know, right. because it's a big machine to run. So. Sure, yeah, with yeah. as many countries as you operate in, yeah. absolutely, and just the dynamic area of working in the, the tech industry. How have you dealt with the, the, the talent war, um, both in Israel, where I know you have a number of people sitting, and I mean, I think it's been a challenge for all of us, obviously, in public accounting. You know, we've seen kind of unprecedented turnover, frankly, since the pandemic, and, you know, I think that's starting to slow down a bit, and things are starting to stabilize, but... 
That being said, I mean, it's, it's still incredibly, incredibly competitive out there for, for talent. And frankly, it's what I've been telling young people as I go back, go to talk to universities. I'm like, get a degree in accounting, go into tax. It's an incredibly dynamic area and you're going to mm-hmm. be able to find a job. But how have you been dealing with uh, the talent war at Amdocs? It's, it's a great question because I think we're like affected like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Like we're, we're part of the, the, the economy in every country where we are and the, the, the war for talent is nowhere near where, where, where it was about three, four years ago before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So people want to move around and people want to have a more diverse career and all that. And as you said, also the, the big four accounting firms, which are a big supplier of talent to a business like ours, sure. are also finding it more difficult to hold on to their talent which makes it obviously more difficult for us to find talent, to acquire good talent, and then to retain the talent. Because you, you come into a company like Amdocs, the last thing you're going to be is bored if you're doing tax, because the company is just really dynamic. Yeah. The business changes, and then there's M&A, and then there's audits, and there's everything. Every day something happens. Mm-hmm. So for quite a long time, you're going to be really interested. And the, most of the people who come and work for us you know, find that. Uh, but then after a while, obviously, people want to grow. Mm-hmm. And then to retain talent in a, within a company is always challenging because you have what I refer to sometimes as the niche paradox. So we're the, we're the experts on tax, right? So we, the whole, everybody in the company comes to us and makes us feel a bit important because we know everything about tax. Right. But on the other hand, they look at you as the tax expert. So then, you know, somebody wants to grow outside of that role, and it's not the easiest thing. We have had, I have to say, some great success in taking people from tax and really, you know, helping them grow to the next phase of their career in Amdocs to do something which is not necessarily tax related. It's a different finance role. I see. Stuff like that. So we, we've had that experience. Yeah, because well. I think that is one of the challenges as, as we compare, and I don't want to digress too much, but as you compare industry to, let's say, public accounting or a law firm is that... There's just only, there's limited opportunities for promotion, right? More limited opportunities, generally speaking, in promotion in industry because there's one head of tax, right? There's only so many directors or, or people in that level. And so that makes sense. And I think that's neat that you've encouraged your teams and found opportunities for those that want to continue to progress out, outside of tax. And I'm guessing, and this is what I tell a lot of our young people and, 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 and the listeners, is that tax is such a good background for, for as a launching point for a whole variety of different areas. You mentioned finance, you know, treasury. I mean, to the extent that we're going to talk a little bit about more operational planning and just how important it is in, in, in today's environment and tax environment to really understand operations. So I think that just creates even more opportunities for people. I, I agree. I agree because we have a lot of touch points. So as I said, we work with so many stakeholders that after a few years in tax in a company like Amdocs, you get to know the company very well. Like not only the corporate units, but also you know the R and D and what we call delivery in our business and uh, and the actual business units. You have interactions with many many people. So throughout your day, you might be speaking with 15, 20 people from different units in the company, and that gets you exposed. It gets people to know you around the company, and it also it's a great opportunity for people to take a look around and see what's out there. Like, mm-hmm. if I don't want to do tax for the rest right. of my career, maybe I want to grow. Like into, us. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I could grow into something else, and maybe I could go check it out. And maybe I'll find something that uh, you know is the next step in my career. 
I think a company, as opposed to an accounting firm, gives you that opportunity sure. to, see, to see that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I want to double click on that, as they say, and mm -hmm. particularly um, understanding your relationship with some of the business folks. And you talked about kind of the finance department. And tell me a little bit about, because you know, one of the things to compare, Tad was, was, is the treasurer at P&G in addition to, to the VP of tax. And so how does it work at Amdocs um, with respect to how you're working with treasury and accounting? And you already mentioned that it sounds like there's a lot of communication, but you know, between withholding taxes and you know, the, the tax tends to drive a lot of decisions. We'll talk about some of the changes from the TCJA, particularly with respect to interest expense, that you know, where you can get interest expense deductions from a tax perspective can help drive financing. But talk a little bit about like, how that interaction practically works at Amdocs. So I think it's a very important point because the, the kind of the bread and butter of you know, our day job is that I am part of finance management. So we all are heads of uh, domains within finance. We all report to our uh, CFO and COO. Um, it's the same person who holds the same the two titles. Okay. Um, and so we sit together in management meetings and we are you know, good friends and colleagues and we align on a daily basis. And we've developed relationships where it's really, really comfortable. We're all approachable. So like if you're talking about treasury, uh, our group treasurer, you know, we constantly communicate. Like we, 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 it's a daily communication okay. and it's not so that you have to educate people because they know already that tax is, as we say in Amdocs, is nothing but an afterthought. You know, it's all like the people in treasury, they know that they have to uh, call us early, discuss everything, all cash movements, you want to take a dividend out. What's going on with the money in a particular country? Is it stuck there? We've had issues recently with places like Russia because of politics. Mm -hmm. So you have to be really involved constantly in all these sure. uh, things that are going on. Same with accounting. So the head of accounting, great friend of mine, sits next to me. We deal every quarter. We talk about you know the uh, the financial statement implications of what we're doing, how it gets reflected, etc. So the, the the bond is there. And the daily communication is there, and it's really important, I think. we. And was that the culture there when you showed up eight years ago, or do you feel like some of that's changed and evolved, particularly as we think about the relationship that you have with these other finance functions? <clears throat> I think it's evolved a lot. Mm -hmm. I think that, that uh, when I arrived, I think uh, the, the perception of tax was like, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, they, they're naysayers. They tell us what we can't do. They tell us what we can't do, and they don't explain to us why, and we just, we, we don't even want to knock on the door because we'll get a no, just to, you know. So that was, some, to some extent, that was the relationship, and I think I've made it a big point of, uh, you know, my mm -hmm. tenure at Amdocs to change that. I think today it's very different. I think today the, the spirit of collaboration is there, and we, it's a, there's a lot more openness, and people know that they can approach tax, and we're, we are... As I tell my employees, we are enablers. We're not the front of the house, we're the back of the house, mm -hmm. but we are enablers of the business. We're not there to say, no, you can't do a business deal. You know, that's not our job. Our right. job is to say, how can you make the business deal happen even when, when there's a tax cost? Unless it's, of course, prohibitive and yeah. then it doesn't make any sense, you know, for the company. Right. Yeah. But, and you got to provide the facts, right, as far as, but, 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 you know, being viewed within an organization, I see this with the companies that, that I work with, those were taxes viewed as a value driver as opposed to that naysayer have an entirely different relationship with the business. 
So, so talk about the relationship that you have, because we talked about finance with accounting and treasury, but what about from an operational perspective? Because you know, particularly in the technology sector where you are obviously incredibly dynamic business, you had mentioned that you're very acquisitive. How is that relationship with the operational folks, the kind of the day-to-day business folks outside of finance, and, and how do you kind of structure that with your team? So that, that has a lot of uh, facets to it, yeah. okay? So you, you mentioned M&A. We are a very acquisitive company, and we have a great relationship with our corporate development group. Um, you know, obviously, as tax, we're involved in every acquisition from start to end, from the due diligence phase all the way to the post-merger integrations. That's a ton of work. Mm-hmm. We have a great relationship. I personally work more extensively with pro, uh, corporate development, and I've been more involved in, in, in that type of work recently. Um, so that's great. The operational aspects, they have a number of facets to them as well. So there's the running the machine. So like the corporate machine, you know, we need IT, we need HR. So we work like the head of, global head of HR of the company, um, very close relationship. Uh, all our glo- global operations, they know when they open up a site, there's a site strategy. Okay. So they do a whole project in the background to find out if it makes sense to open up a site for development in a particular country. And I assume tax is just one component Absolutely. of that, legal and, and others. Numerous right. stakeholders. Yeah. But they assemble a team together of people. They come together and present eventually to management. Does it make sense to open a site with a few hundred people in, in, a, in a particular country? Okay. And tax is taken as one of the considerations there, but it's definitely part of the conversation. And then you have the actual customer-facing units. So the people who actually sell and the people who deliver and the people who develop the products. So we have good relationships with all these units. Usually the linchpin is the finance partner of that business unit. That's our direct uh, point of communication into the into the unit, uh, the, the first point of contact, I, I would say. Yeah. And then, <clears throat> why why is it important? And particularly as I'm thinking about like tax audits, and yeah. so you know, as you have built your business model and structure around the globe, um, how important is it for for you as the tax leader to understand the business model and what kind of role does that play, particularly as you think about kind of the environment that, that we're in and tax planning? It's huge, huge. First of all, because transfer pricing, we're at the transfer pricing conference, right? Yeah, we are at the thank you, <laughs> right. I mean, you know, I didn't grow up in transfer pricing. I'm an international tax guy. Right. But it's just become the most important thing. So like important. Every audit we get to, it's huge. It's like the number one issue. Okay. And so, unlike the past, where you know you could do tax in a company and not really know the details of what the company was doing, today it's the complete opposite. Like we have to be really tuned in to what the business is doing, what products are being developed, what the acquisition strategy is, and then we 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 do functional analysis. So we get to know um, a lot of people, the business leaders, and it also comes in really handy because when you have a tax audit and you have to explain a business like Amdocs to a tax authority, it's a very challenging thing. You know, the tax uh, uh, people on the other side of the table, uh, they're not technology professionals. So there's a, a pretty difficult conversation mm-hmm. in explaining an, a business like Amdocs to, to them. And that's where it comes in really handy because then you pick up the phone to one of your colleagues in the, in the business and have them present to the tax authorities, explain their angle, and it's much more credible uh, you know, when it comes from somebody who's actually doing the business as opposed to a corporate mm-hmm. tax guy like myself to explain 
what what the business does, you know, what the functions are, you know, how it works, and all that. So those relationships are hugely important, I think. Yeah, and how have you seen? So, so I, I think one point, important point, and and this is we've heard I've, I've heard this from, from some of my other guests in the cross border tax talks is that, you know, the business model and the operating model now really drives the tax strategies that we see with with multinationals, and I I, I do just want to highlight the point that a lot of the tax law changes that frankly you and I've seen over the last ten years. You know, starting with BEPS, we'll talk a little bit about the U.S., some of the U.S. tax law changes that were very consistent with that have really changed the environment and type of planning and structuring that's just even available at this point. And so, you know, consequently, I think that, you know, your, your point really resonates with me that transfer pricing ends up being that very kind of first thing that many tax authorities start to question and ask about. And it's so important for, obviously, the, the tax professionals within an organization as well as their advisors to really understand that business model and really be able to peel back the onion, particularly on transfer pricing reports. And I'll tell you that I, over the last five to 10 years, I spend a lot more time, we spend a lot more time, I think, in general as an international tax professional working with our transfer pricing colleagues to really understand kind of the business model for, for taxpayers. No, it's, uh, it's, it's absolutely true. I mean, I, I spend a huge percentage of my time dealing with transfer pricing, both with the documentation, functional analysis, and in the audit defense phase. So it's, uh, it's just hugely important, and it's becoming even more so day by day. And as you said, you mentioned BEPS and all that. I mean, th- this environment, is, it's crazy. It's crazy. The amount of things that we have to do and think about and comply with just grows exponentially. All right, year. so that's where, I, that's where I want to head next. So let's start with... Uh, <laughs> Which is, which is arguably better for my business than, than yours. Um, but the, let's start with some of the perspective on global tax changes, because I'm also going to get to, we talked about your staffing, and with all of these changes, I assume your group has doubled in the last several years, given the complexities, but we'll get there. Let's start with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act back in 2018, because Amdocs has been operating in the U.S. as an inbound company for, for years. Mm-hmm. There are obviously significant changes in, in 2018 as part of the Trump tax cuts um, for inbound companies. And I mean, just to name a few, 163J and BEAT and some of the 267 rules. I mean, I think I've heard some argue that it kind of disproportionately impacted some of the inbound companies, even those that have not necessarily inverted. I mean, you guys have operated as an inbound company since your existence. Mm-hmm. But let's start with those US tax reforms. And then I think that, you know, Arguably, some of the inbounds were spared from tax law changes in the Inflation Reduction Act because all they got were, were, you know, the the primary big corporate tax law changes was the book minimum tax, which obviously impacts both inbound and outbounds. But if we go back to 2018, what's your kind of looking back and reflecting upon the TCJA? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, it's definitely had a big impact on us. I mean, as you said, luckily we're not a U.S. multinational in the sense that we're not heavily impacted by some of those huge changes. That, oh, like guilty, yeah, like guilty, <laughs> and uh, you know everything around subpart F and uh, FIDI or however you pronounce it. Yeah, that's that debatable. Thing. I'm a FIDI guy. But, uh, a FIDI guy, yeah. yeah. And, and, the, and the foreign tax credit regulations have just become more and more complicated every year. Right. So we have less to deal with that because we're true inbound, except yeah. for some stuff coming from acquisitions. Sure. But on the, on the inbound side, 
all these things like 163J and 267 Cap A and, uh, you know, and the beat and all that are things that we've had to take a really close, mm -hmm. hard look at. And some of them are really restrictive. Like if you, if you talk about 163J, so we used to have a, a rule that was fairly easy to deal with. And now it's... Yeah, we're just applied to related party debt, for yeah. example, the pre-TCJ 163J limitations. Exactly. So yeah. now it applies to third party debt. And it's only 30% of what? Of EBIT, because they got rid of the DA, yeah, as you like to Yeah, we haven't been it. able to save the DA, but... <laughs> right. So, so it's becoming really restrictive. And <laughs> sure. The, the fact that it applies to third party debt, uh, even without the parent guarantee, uh, is, is just really restrictive. Mm -hmm. Uh, so we've had to deal with that and model that out and look at that very closely. Sure. Um, and then, by the way, you mentioned the recent legislation. So you're right, the 15% of book profits is, uh, we're not quite there in terms of the size. Okay. But you have other provisions in there like the excise tax on, on buybacks, which yep. could Great eventually point. impact us. Um, you know, right now, as I read the law, it only applies to U.S. companies, but, you know, it could be expanded to foreign private issuers mm -hmm. traded on, on, on Wall Street at some point. Uh, I hope not, but uh, that could impact us uh, big time as well. Sure. So. so in addition to the U.S. tax law changes, there's obviously been a ton of changes around the globe. And I just think about particularly the size of your department, all the additional compliance requirements that we've seen over the last few years. So country by country reporting, for example, DAC 6. How have you dealt with, particularly uh, given the, a tax department of your size, and you described kind of 20 to 30 people how have you dealt with all of those additional compliance requirements? It's tough because, you know, we, we are expected, and I think that's a challenge that management puts to us, to, to kind of do more with less mm -hmm. or do more with the same. <laughs> okay. So we're not really, as you see, you joked that we, we've been doubling every year. Well, the truth is we haven't really. Okay. All right. Um, and so we've had to really train people and uh, teach them how to deal with these things. And something like country-by-country country reporting you'd be amazed at with how little we managed to achieve the goal of filing and complying every year with country-by-country country reporting. It's a huge task. I'm sure. And the biggest deal for us, by the way, generally, not just to do with country-by-country, country, is sourcing data within the organization. I mean, you know, data sources and to get really reliable, credible data from the systems, I think it's challenging in every company, especially a company with a huge history and you know, complicated ERP systems and you know, layers and layers of acquisitions and all that's really difficult. So to get the data and to feel comfortable with the data and to put it in, in the right packaging that the authorities expect and to look at it after you've prepared it and say, oh, oh no, what are they going to read into this? Because it doesn't, you know, country by country reporting in my view doesn't make any sense, but uh, that's a different conversation. Yeah. But to your point, yes, we've had to do more, much more with the same resources. Not, not really growing in terms of resources. Got it. And yeah. I, th I think that's a common theme as I talk to other taxpayers is kind of, I like the way you described it as you have to do more with the same, yeah. right? And then the problem is if you get people turn over and leave, then you're doing more with less, mm -hmm. right? If you can't replace those heads. So um, you had mentioned data and kind of sourcing data. And so, so of, of course, no cross-border tax talks would be complete without at least talking about pillar two. So we were looking back at the TCJA, looking back at country by country. So now let's look forward. And as we, as we think about kind of pillar two and the potential impact that it could have on your business. And one thing that you had mentioned is just the complexity and challenge to get good data. And you know, one of the things that we spent a lot of time talking about here on the podcast is 
this requires a whole new set of books for, for Pillar 2, right? And, and kind of we're, we're recording this in mid-October of 2022. Um, there's certainly been some wobbling, if you will, with Pillar 2 um, from an EU perspective, whether they're going to be able to get unanimity. But we've already seen some countries in Europe, like Germany, that have said, nope, we're going to implement this even if we don't get unanimity. Um, what is your view on Pillar 2 and operational readiness, and particularly as you think about all of the data that is necessary in this, effectively, this new set of books that's going to be required to comply with Pillar 2? Um, yeah, that's a very good question. I think, that, <laughs> I think that I'm still asking myself this every morning when I get up, and okay. I ask myself, when are we going to be able to deal with this? Because yeah. as I said, we're stretched thin. We have X limited number of resources, and it's coming right at us, because every time you think, Oh, it's five years down the road, right. and they wake up, and three years have gone by. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we saw with COVID, right? right. So, so it's just we're time. at the point of our career that twenty twenty four. We know that twenty twenty four is going to be here before we. It seems like a long time. It's now we'll not. see if the timeline holds, but you know that's going to be here in a second. So I, I used to be one of these people who said, eh, "It's never going to happen." But <laughs> as you've told me, you know <laughs> that snowball's rolling down the mountain. Yeah. So we know that it's coming at us. Right. And we, we're not sure how to deal with it. So we've kind of taken a phased approach. We're trying to deal with it phase by phase. We're trying to first quantify what it might mean for us mm-hmm. and then deal with the issues that come with that, like the systems issues and the data issues. And I, I really you know, haven't thought through how we're going to do that, but it's pretty much going to require us to, to set up a, a separate set of books. Right. To be able to deal with this and then you know, comply. And every country is going to have its own little quirks and how do you deal with that. And explain it to your, the accounting people and, you know, a line between accounting and tax. And Oh, yeah. We've had, I mean, I've had to deal with that within my own organization where, you know, we've had some of these complicated ta- accounting questions and we talk to our tax accounting people and the tax accounting people are like, well, that's not a tax accounting question. That's an accounting accounting question. And then we got to go talk to the accounting people and it's just a whole new group of stakeholders that even I'm working with. Um, you know, within the service industry to try to figure out how we go about tackling this kind of this kind of challenge. Yeah. So the other thing that I wanted to talk to you about or get your your thoughts on a pillar two were kind of were incentives and particularly as an Israeli international tax practitioner that, that you've operated in your, your entire career. You know, one of the challenges with pillar two is the impact that countries will have as a result of incentives that, mm-hmm. that they give. Right, and certain incentive, certain incentives that may not qualify as covered taxes that could cause a particular country or constituent entity to fall below the fifteen percent globe rate. And Israel has been uh, a country that has been uh, aggressive, may not be the right term, but proactive. Let's say in granting preferential regimes. For example, you have the special preferred enterprise regime. There's the preferred technology enterprise regime, and I think it's been really fantastic. And I'd like to get your 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 thoughts for the country and really attracting and retaining talent in R&D and technology. And so presumably those types of, of, of incentives now could cause Israel to fall below the 15% globe rate and you know, with obviously the implications of somebody else being able to collect that tax. What are your thoughts on kind of the impact of Pillar 2 and, and what it could do to, to Israel? I, th- I think it's huge because Israel is really, first and foremost, a, an innovation hub. That's what it is. You know, we have great engineers. We have a lot of, you know, tradition of ingenuity and innovation. A lot of great stuff has come from Israel. And all the, the, the multinationals, the major ones, know this very well. And they either set up R&D facilities in Israel or they acquire companies a lot. And all the big names that you, you know, the, the Silicon Valley, 
tech companies and, and other companies around the world have uh, acquired or set up, you know, huge R&D facilities in Israel. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and so Israel, it's very important for our economy. And so Israel established these uh, regimes, like the preferred, uh, you know, the technological regime, yep. which can get you down to a 6% effective rate, uh, plus a very attractive uh, reduced withholding rate on dividends. So mm -hmm. it's a, a really low effective rate. Uh, you, you have to own the IP in Israel, which is, you know, big for the economy. So rather than setting up R&D centers on a cost plus or whatever, mm -hmm. it used to be the, the, the practice. Now you have to own the, the IP. Um, and which is an interesting policy decision that governments can make and that Israel made to, hey, if we're going to give you the incentive, you got you to keep that intellectual property that's developed in country. Exactly. Which makes sense at the end of the day, if you think about it. But then Globe comes in, and then you know the world is telling Israel that you know we're going to take away those incentives because right. some other country is going to top up the tax. You know, either the U.S. with its guilty, or you know, equivalent, right? Or U.K. or Switzerland or wherever, right? So how do you deal with that? I don't know. I think the Israeli government is struggling to deal with that. And as far as I know, they don't really have a solution for this yet. But yeah, I and I think that's kind of consistent with what, I, what we're seeing around the globe is that, I mean, that, that governments that have these types of incentives, and there's tons of them, right? I mean, look at the, the U.S. You know, the U.S. has the R&D credit, which is going to create, you know, a, a, a similar issue. That is a non-refundable tax credit. So it's not one of the qualified tax credits that could be considered a covered tax. And so I think governments around the globe, as these rules come online, are really going to have to reconsider how they attract the, that specific foreign direct investment and make those policy choices. But I agree, there doesn't seem like there's a, a clean answer and particularly I think one of the challenges to, to make a qualified refundable tax credit has significant cash flow implications for the fisc of the, the government that, that actually implements that. So I just think particularly in the tech industry where, you know, many companies fail, right? Mm -hmm. They invest a lot and fail that I, I question whether governments will just, you know, jump into a qualified refundable tax credit to try to encourage that kind of behavior. I think it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. and. You know, it'll also be interesting to see what countries implement a qualified domestic minimum top-up tax so that, you know, will Israel just take the position like, listen, we're going to keep our regimes, but, you know, we'll at least implement a qualified domestic minimum top-up tax to prevent, you know, in your example, the Switzerland's, the UK's, whoever implements the rules from being able to collect the top-up tax. Mm -hmm. So, but time will tell, and uh, when, when those developments occur, just stay tuned to the Cross-Border Tax Talks podcast. We'll, Naturally, the we'll, first place to go. Thank, thank, thank you, <laughs> So maybe our last question here for you is, um, and, and I like to ask the, the taxpayers that come join the, the podcast, what do you look for in a trusted advisor? Kind of what, what are your, as you're working with various advisors, and we have all kinds of advisors as well as taxpayers that listen to this, what do you look for in an advisor as you're making decisions on who can partner and team with you in your various roles at, at Amdocs? So that, that's, a, that's a really good question. And I think that I, I've had the, the, the benefit in my career of being both on the advisor side and mm -hmm. then the, the, the client side, okay? So I, uh, I had a perspective when I was an advisor of what I should be as an advisor. And I think that perspective has evolved over the years as I've consumed you know, services from, uh, from very good advisors at you know, accounting firms and law firms. Sure. We work with a, with a bunch of advisors. I think at the end of the day, 
Um, I think the, I need people to advise me, people that I can relate to on a personal level. So usually the advisors that I stick with are people that I, you know, become pretty good friends with mm -hmm. because I feel comfortable with them and I feel open with them and I can share my issues with them and I know that I can WhatsApp, WhatsApp them at, you know, the, any hour of the mm -hmm. day and get on the phone and get some good advice, solid advice. So I need that, uh, that kind of intimacy sure. and friendship um, and somebody who's available for me and not always, you know, thinking about uh, immediately how do we turn this into a big project. Maybe you just need my advice now and you need to hear a sounding board to, to bounce an idea off of. So that, that's, really, uh, that's really important for me. So I think uh, it's availability, and obviously, needless to say, they've got to be smart and creative because that's uh, it goes without saying. Sure, like if you have you've got a challenging business too that requires that kind of creativity and new problem solving, just because the business model is so dynamic and just throughout tech. And 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 it, it requires one more thing: is that it's so it's such a difficult business to understand that people need to have mileage with our company to be able to advise us. Because you can't just step in and five minutes later give me advice that I can use and can be productive for me. You need to know the company. You need to have some track record with the company you know, and traction. And then you can really provide advice that's meaningful. I think that's really important. Well, that's great insight. So Omri, thank you very much for joining us. It was fascinating. I'm very excited to get somebody with your experience, background, kind of the size of the company. I, I hope that our listeners enjoyed your insights as much as I did. So thanks for joining. I had a great time. Thank you, All Doug. Right. So thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Cross-Border Tax Talks. Thank you, Omri Yanev, Global Head of Tax at Amdocs Limited. I'm Doug McConey, PwC's International Tax Services Global Leader. Stay tuned in two weeks for another exciting edition of the Cross-Border Tax Talks podcast. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.